Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Rob. How are you doing? I'm so glad always to bring new people into our arena. And uh, not that I don't like to bring the old folks back who've done work before and talked to us before, but when we get a chance to talk to someone I think who's really enthusiastic about, about the field of addiction, who's really engaged in um, trying to heal couples and help them find the love that they were meant to have. Um, when I think about those kind of issues, I think about my colleague, Tim Stein. Oh, welcome, Tim. Nah, thank you so much, Rob. Let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Tim Stein is co-founder of Willow Tree Counseling, a program for sex addicts and betrayed partners in Santa Rosa, California. Tim is a certified sex addiction therapist, a certified clinical partner specialist. Willow Tree Counseling recently released a video series titled Introduction to Sex Addiction and Partner Betrayal. And I think that's a really good thing you folks should check out. In addition to his clinical work, Tim also facilitates therapeutic retreats and workshops for addicts, partners, and trauma survivors. Tim's book, which I just personally love and recommend highly, Gifts of Recovery, a daily meditation book for men and women in recovery for se- from sex addiction, is available on Amazon. Tim, welcome. Thank you so much, Rob. So happy to be here. Well, I see you as somebody who's kind of a um, kind of a bright and rising star in the field of sex addiction. I've seen you really, you know, grab hold of the field and just jump in with both feet. And uh, and to you folks, I'll just say that Tim gives a lot of his time away for free, uh, helping professionals who are healing and colleagues and friends who are healing. So I I want to honor you for that, Tim. I know that you aren't just in it for the money. We appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, I, I have so much passion about recovery, which really informs the work I do you know, in every aspect of my life. It's just, it's, it's a gift that I'm so grateful that I have received and I'm happy to, to help other people find it as well. Plus when it's not on fire, you kind of live in paradise. And so, you know, living in one of the most beautiful places in the world can make you a more generous person. Yes. When it's not on fire, it's beautiful. We're very, very grateful and fortunate that our, our home survived, but it was rather traumatic up here for uh, about a year. We're healing up, but uh, you can still sort of feel the the reverberations from the fire that took place up here in Northern California. Yeah. Tim's talking about the California fires and you can see it here in Malibu and, and down South as well. But I, what I was really excited about just to say it, Tim, when, when you sort of showed up on the scene is that we really didn't have much grounding on the central coast for this kind of healing. Um, there were people in Sacramento, there were people in San Francisco. I know people in LA certainly, but you really helped bring the central coast of California into focus for these issues. And I really, you know, you gave them a home and people a place to go. And I just want to thank you for that before we do the work. Ah, well, thank you so much. 
and I will visit you in wine country anytime. <laughs> um, okay, enough about that. We have work to do. So Tim and I talked a little bit before this podcast about how we thought his expertise would be most helpful to you guys. And I sort of having a running have a running total in my head, as you know, the kinds of topics that we've talked about here. And by the way, Tim, I think we're, this might be the 50th show or something. We have a lot of shows done. <laughs> Congratulations. It's been amazing. It's really wonderful. Um, this is a top 10 podcast in the United States uh, overall across the board. It's just really exciting. And I think the reason is we're giving people real information. You know, we're not talking about fluff. We're talking about the real stuff with people who know what they're talking about. And so, you know, I'm grateful. So know that uh, at least 130,000 people uh, to present count will listen to this, Tim. So hopefully they will learn from you. And what I wanted to talk to Tim about was we, you know, we both do a lot of couples work and I want to approach a topic that's kind of um, almost difficult to talk about because uh, the topic is about betrayed partners and betrayed spouses and spousal betrayal. And what a partner goes through, the, the anger, the hurt, and the betrayal, and how that affects them for really the long haul. I mean, how do we talk about, and Tim is really good about talking about this, the pain of a partner who's been put in an impossible situation. You love someone, but you're told they're troubled, or you see that they're troubled, and you want to love and hang out there with someone that's troubled who you married. On the other hand, the way they're troubled is paining you greatly, causing you tremendous crisis and trauma of your own, and you kind of want to kill them. <laughs> and so how do you make all of this work and make sense of it? And I thought, Tim, you have a great way of looking at partner response. And so I wanted to talk about that some. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate because uh, I started doing this work, you know, uh, primarily with the addicts, you know, coming out of my own recovery. And so I understood the addict experience. All too well, I think. All too well. And I understood, you know, what, what the addicts sort of needed to do and what was what their path was going to be like. And I had these partners I was working with, and this is like 10 years ago, that I just did not understand. And they were driving me a little nuts. And I'm so fortunate that uh, my colleague, Jeannie Batoni, and I, who have done some, had done some collaboration at that point, I started talking with her about this. And she has such a strong trauma background that she started to talk about, hey, I'm seeing this as trauma. And you know, that folded into the uh, to the AppSets partner sensitivity movement, which I think has evolved into your codependent stuff, which I absolutely love. And so we have done, and I do a lot of work of really understanding that that the partner experiences trauma. It's betrayal trauma. They they didn't sign up for this. This wasn't what they chose. Uh, they weren't aware of it oftentimes. And and if they were aware of it, one of my experiences that I find with with partners is that even if they're aware of the behavior the understanding of how the, the addict's behavior is impacting them often doesn't show up on their radar. I cannot tell you how many partners, women partners in particular, have come into my office and you know they will talk about having gone to their doctor or their gynecologist to figure out what happened to my libido? Why am I no longer interested in being sexual with my, my husband? Only to find out later that, that he's an addict and they weren't aware of what was going on. And as the addict gets into recovery and the couple does some healing, suddenly that libido and their, their sex life starts to thrive again. It's all about the partner having shut themselves down unconsciously because they were feeling used like, a, like an object as opposed to being loved and related like a human being. Let me break this down a little bit because I, I often say to folks that, you know, I want to make sure that everybody understands what we're saying and not just therapists. So I think what Tim is saying, and I want to interpret this a little bit, is that when you have a spouse who's betraying you and you have a profound, meaningful relationship in your mind, and they seem to be going about this in a way that, that seems to no show, show no caring toward how it might affect you or how it might affect your family life or your world, that when you find out about that, that certain things happen to you, that it isn't just that you've been cheated on. 
that having been cheated on leads to a whole sort of cascade of responses in the person who has been cheated on. And they will react in almost a little bit predictable ways. I'd call it predictable unpredictability. It's like an unpredictable, it's like a roller coaster. And you're talking about what are those things that someone who's been betrayed deeply goes through and what is a sort of almost expected response from them? Yeah, I, I, that, that is what I'm saying. But there's one other piece that I would add into that. I think this is just fascinating. And um, like I said, my, my, my clinical partner, Jeannie Batoni, has actually done a, a little bit of survey on this. And, and I think we're going to get some more information moving forward as the field looks at this. The other piece is that as a partner of a sex addict, even before you are aware of the addict's behavior, that there is an impact oftentimes on the partner and their sexuality and their experience of themselves, even before they're aware that the behavior is taking place and even before they're aware of the, the betrayal. And so this trauma that the partners are feeling that they're not interpreting as trauma, whether that is, hey, I just found out that, that my, my husband or my wife, you know, we see both male and female addicts, but the addict, I just found out that they've been betraying me in all of these different ways. And now I have all this, these, these experiences, this, these feelings, these reactions coming up. But we also see it that sometimes those reactions, the, the impact on the partner's sexuality happens even prior to them being aware of the behavior because of the, the energy attached to the relationship when you're with an addict. Let's talk about that, Tim. So my spouse has been cheating on me. I'm a man or a woman, doesn't matter. And I don't know that they've been cheating. I, I don't. I don't, you know, I don't have any facts. And I really never even crossed my mind that they were cheating. And by the way, I want to expand this also. It's not just addicts. It's, it's if you were married to or committed to someone who's been betraying you on a regular basis, they don't have to be an addict for you to have this experience as a partner. My question to you is what, what are you basing this on? Like if the partner doesn't know that they're being cheated on, you're kind of saying they're beginning to feel things or sense things. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they're questioning them and not getting reality reflected back. What is leading this partner to, I kind of think what you're saying, to begin to be in a crisis of intimacy, a crisis of disconnection before they even find out what the problem actually is? I think what my experience has been in the couples that I've worked with and then with the partners that I've worked with and the addicts, I work with people. But when I'm working with people who've been impacted by sex addiction, what my experience has been is that it has to do with the energy that the addict is bringing into the relationship or the person who's doing the betrayal. If I'm having a lot of one night stands, the energy that I'm taking towards the, the people that I'm, I'm looking at or that I'm aiming to hook up with. It's not loving, relational, looking for a lifelong connection or a deep, intimate connection for the evening. It's looking for... Not if I'm just looking to get laid or have some fun. And, and if that's the energy that you're carrying in your interactions with other people, when you come home, it's unrealistic to think that that's just going to get turned off. And so now you're walking home into a relationship with your partner and your partner on some level is having the same experience of they're just looking to get laid. Well, I'm also thinking there's other concrete pieces here because when I talk to spouses and I, I do a lot of, you know, so we you know, Tim, we're, we've started treatment just to tell you that we opened Seeking Integrity about eight weeks ago. I'm really excited. Oh, I know. And you, you had a, you had an intensive going on. Congratulations. I'm so glad you're back out in the treatment field again. I, I, you've been missed. 
Well, thank you. It's I spent long, far too long in the corporate world, and uh, getting back in the hands of working with people hands-on is really amazing and fabulous. And guess what? We know a few things, and guess what? Nothing's changed. So yeah, pain is pain, and uh, growth is growth. But but I, I wanted to refine what you're saying a little bit because I, I think a lot of spouses I hear them say things like, um, like if you were cheating on me, Tim, and I would say, you know, you don't seem as intimate. You 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 kind of come home late, you're leaving early, you're distracted. I do start to sense some things that aren't just about how necessarily you're living your sex life, but it, it starts to affect my own life. Like you're not showing up for things, you're late for things. And and then when I ask you for the truth, you're not always honest with me. So I'm thinking that there are other signs too that partners pick up on. They don't quite know what's going on, but they start withdrawing. They're forgetful. They start to not follow through on projects. The cheater. The cheater. The cheater yeah. is forgetful. The cheater starts not following through on projects. They stop being reliable. Do they know that? Do I know I'm not being reliable? Or I mean, or do I'm just trying to cover all my bases and think I got it together? You know, I think it varies. I think there are some people that I work with that have a realization that their ability to function has dropped off. Or, or their family life is failing or something like that. And I think uh, others are just oblivious and think, I, I don't know why their people are having a hard time because I'm just living my life and this is what people do. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. I want to say something else to the spouses. I want you to understand the mindset of, of addicts is that uh, a sex addict or someone who's very dedicated to cheating or chronic betrayal, all of that is that, you know, we're not thinking about how to make our home life better. We're thinking about how to avoid our home life to go do this fun thing we want to do and how to make sure our partner doesn't know anything has changed so that we can both get the best out of our family life and the best out of our fooling around, kind of have your cake and eat it too. So I'm going to pull away from my spouse. I'm going to not be honest with them. I'm going to, and I might even be blaming of them. And, and this is, a, I have a question for you, Tim. This is something I've thought about a lot. If I'm an addict or, or a cheater and I'm actively going out and having an affair or engaged with someone, it's very hard for me to be actively loving and in connection with my loving toward my spouse. You know, it's like hard to love someone and hurt them at the same time. So what I wonder about is, isn't there, or, well, I won't say be leading with the question, is it possible, do you think? that those of us who do a lot of cheating, a lot of sexual acting out, whatever that is, that we start to devalue our spouse in our head. Rather than feeling our love and connection with them, we see them as being overweight and controlling and nagging and difficult. And in a way, it makes it easier for us to go do what we want to do because we're not holding on to love for our spouse. We're holding on to resentment. And I wonder if the spouses pick up on that distancing, that blaming, that you're the reason why I'm not more involved in this family kind of thing. You know, I, I don't think there's one path for all addicts or all people who are, are, are cheating out there. I, I think that is certainly one of them. I, and I've certainly worked with a number of, of clients who have gone the route of they're not sexual enough. They used to be thinner, you know, back when before we had kids and they paid attention to me. And now I can't get the time of day. And so what's a guy to do or a gal to do, but go find someone else. Exactly. I, I, I've seen that. I've also seen the other side of, of people who are, are very loving very appreciative of their partner, you know, and they are very clear when you explore sort of like their addictive behaviors or their cheating behaviors, 
none of this had anything to do with my partner. Well, this was me just looking for a hit. This was me looking for a high. And then I think that there's the other piece, which is the neurological side to this. Uh, there was a study. I, I don't have the, the uh, citation in front of me, but there was a study years ago about pornography use. And one of the things I thought was interesting was that they, they found that people who, who use pornography excessively, and I believe they define that as... Consistently. Yeah, three, three or more times a week or something like that. That they begin to look at people differently. They do. They, they find their partners less sexually uh, arousing. They, they are less attracted to their partner and they start to objectify people in public. And then when they drop off on their porn use, the, those things seem to self-correct. If you're an addict and self-correcting. If, if you're not an addict, right. I, so I think that there's also that piece about as people are acting out and going off in their uh, addictive or uh, cheating behaviors, that there's this neurological shift where they start to see everyone a, a, as sexual objects. Or as objects of anger to be avoided, or as objects of reward to play up to, or everybody gets kind of a little bit less personal because you're treating people as an object. And, the, and I think there's two pieces to understand about this. One is, uh, like we've been talking about for partners, how painful that can be, whether they're like consciously aware of the pain or whether it's showing up in unconscious ways like loss of libido or other sort of autoimmune uh, issues that we see commonly showing up with partners, but how painful it is to have that sort of like shift in your relationship. You know, I just think, you know, sometimes we do, there are lots and lots of kind of psychological reasons, but there's also the basic, like if I have just come from a massage parlor or I've just been, you know, having some wild climactic moment with some affair partner and it's four in the afternoon and I need to be home at six. When I come home at six and I walk up to you to kiss you on your lips and look you in the eye, and I've just been with someone else, I doubt I'm going to be as close, as intimate, as warm. I might try to brush my lips away from you. I might try to hug you. I might try to look the other way because I don't know that I can tolerate or feel comfortable with what I've done and how I feel about you. And so even that kind of just little bit of being pushed away, I've seen spouses say, you know, I thought maybe you need to take a shower, maybe I'm working out, maybe, but I've noticed he or she's been more distant. And those little clues, boy, you sure pay attention to them. I, I had one partner that uh, I worked with and I said, you know, on some level, you probably know. And she looked at me and she said, I can tell when he walks through the door, whether he's back it out or not. And, you know, she had a lot of, you know, insight and intuition, but she was picking up on his cues that he wasn't available, that he was sort of preoccupied, that he was feeling shame and guilt about what his behavior had been. And for this guy, you know, because he was an addict, his his, his behaviors were uh, out of control and compulsive, and that doesn't take him off the hook. But it certainly wasn't something he was proud of at the same time. It's interesting, Tim, because I, when I work with, especially with men that cheat or frequently cheat or are sex addicts, it's so funny how, like when you're blind, you're just blind. You know, how these men come to me and, or women, whatever it is there, and they say, oh my God, my, my spouse is a witch or a warlock. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I can come home four nights a week and not have been with that other person or done whatever, and they don't bring it up. But that one day when I stopped off at the massage, they know right away. It's like they can read my mind. And what I want to say to that guy or gal is, I'm really sorry, but you're not that good. Like maybe you do very obvious things when you come home from that situation and you're not as slick as, you know, maybe you're not hiding. Maybe you're not able to conceal who you are and what you are as well as you think you can. And therefore your spouse knows that something's up. They don't know what, but they know something's up. You know, and this, this brings up something that I'm always talking to uh, the, the addicts in our program about, which has to do with transparency with their partner. Can you explain, Tim, let's take a step back. What is transparency with your partner? 
Transparency with your partner is, hey, I'm letting you know what's going on with me, my program, my successes and my struggles. I used to sort of paint this picture that was a perfect facade that, hey, everything was great. And now I've taken that down and I'm letting you know what's really going on with me. And that's really scary for addicts, especially to be able to, to say, hey, I've been having a hard time. Because what addicts want to do is they want to fix things and they want everything to be perfect and they want to control it and manage it. Well, and also if I'm in any fear of getting caught, I'm going to want to cover, cover, cover. And so they want to take, they want to tell all the good stuff. Hey, today was a great day and I didn't have any addictive urges at all. Hey, today was, was really good. And I called my sponsor and I felt really good. Hey, you know, I, I, I've really been solid and I went to a meeting and, and I'm, I'm just doing such a good job on my program. And that's what they want to say. And what I tell them is if that's all you share with your partner, your partner's going to feel like you're whitewashing them and not giving the whole thing. And that isn't true. Right. And it's not true. And this is that where those partners as witches, you know, you walk through the door, I guarantee your partner's gut is telling them there's something off here. And if you as the addict or, or the person who's sort of like doing the healing side from having been the cheater, if you walk through the door and you say nothing, or worse yet, you say how good things are going, your partner is going to experience you as lying and, and, and not being truthful. And that's just going to create more chaos and pain. However, if you take that next step, which I understand is scary, but it's so powerful to say, you know what? My addict's been in my head today. I really had to use a serenity prayer. I had to make some phone calls. You know, I really had to extra carefully pay attention to my boundaries, but I got through today sober. But if it feels like I'm off today, it's because I am because I've, I've kind of been struggling with my addiction. That is not a comfortable thing to say to your partner, especially early in recovery. And I cannot guarantee that if you tell your partner that, that your partner will respond with appreciation. Oh, I'm sure they won't. They're going to hate your effing guts. But one, at least some part of them is going to think, well, at least they were honest. Exactly. At least he's telling me what's going on. And what I find in the long run is that partners come to experience that as Okay, his addict is up, but he is actively using his program to protect me from being impacted by his behavior and by his addiction. And what you're saying really is, is he's using or she's using a commitment to being transparent to keep me from losing faith in, and trust in him or her. Because even though I know they're going to struggle, the harder part is just not knowing what's going on at all. Exactly. Because, you know, partners, it feels to them like all the secrets that were being kept from them when the addict was in the, in the, in the throes of their addiction. Even if you're, you know, keeping secrets that have nothing to do with sexual behavior, that's going to create chaos in your relationship because it feels like you're not being honest with me. You're not being... Well, you're not. You're not. No, you're not being honest with me. It may not be around your sexual behavior, but there are other parts of your life. I think that, that it's worth saying that, that what the partners are really looking for is to learn to trust us again. And, you know, they're not happy about the struggles we have looking at someone or being distracted by someone, or, but they really want to know that our word matters. And, and this is a word out to those people who have cheated or have been cheaters or who are addicts, is that, sex addicts, compulsives. Everything you do matters in your relationship now. I think this is what Tim is saying. Like, if you're going to take out the garbage and you say you're going to take it out, you better take it out or forget but don't like sneak it to the curb when someone isn't looking and say, oh, well, I took it out this morning because every lie is going to be seen as an example of how you're probably lying about everything. Yeah. The other story I have as an example of that is if you're going to not pay the credit card bill 
because you're worried about overdrawing your checking account, make sure you tell your partner, here's what my plan is for our finances. So when, when they get the call from the credit card company, they know what's going on. It's, it, it's not, you know, brand new information and they feel like, you know, what are you doing? We have found that most of the couples that we work with at Willow Tree, if the relationship doesn't make it, it usually has to do with this kind of stuff. It's a lack of recovery on the addict's part. The sobriety stuff is serious and you got to deal with it. But the couples that don't make it are the couples where the addict fails to take that step beyond sobriety work and fails to embrace that, that larger umbrella of recovery work. You know, rigorous honesty, transparency, moderation and balance in all areas of my life, all that kind of stuff. That's so important. One of the sadder things I think that spouses struggle with is the ones who, um, when they're not getting the truth, will doubt themselves. You know, I feel like something's wrong, but he's or she's telling me it isn't. I feel like something doesn't isn't right. I just know it in my gut, but they're telling me everything's fine. And the dilemma in that, especially for someone in trauma, is you so want to believe the good stuff. You so want to believe that it's over and it's not happening and that what you think isn't true. And yet your gut's telling you something else. And when your partner is telling you not to trust your gut and you go with your partner, which is often what we do, it's not unhealthy. It's just what we do. Then eventually we stop trusting ourselves. And that is one of the hardest things for a spouse is they also blame themselves. Like I should have seen, I should have known, I should have believed myself when I felt these things were going on. Yes. You know, and, and, and let me, let me plug my book for just a second, because this is one of the parts of my book that I'm really proud of. So when I wrote uh, Gifts of Recovery, you know, which is available on Amazon, um, and, you know, I, I, I'm so thrilled that people are, I'm getting really good feedback from it. I had one person write me that they've been using with a lot of their clients and their clients are reporting that they really find it helpful for them. But one of the things that I'm so proud about the, the, the daily meditations in this book is that so many of them are, have part, this partner sensitivity piece interwoven into them. The addict reading these daily meditations, they get this kind of stuff sort of, you know, planted into their psyche on a consistent basis. The idea of, hey, what you do is going to have an impact on your partner. Hey, being transparent with your partner is so important. Hey, sharing details, but not, you know, being brutally honest and dumping unhelpful details on your partner is so important. But this idea of understanding the trauma that the partner has experienced because of the betrayal and, you know, to put it in terms of, of your book, understanding how your partner's attempts to control things have really been, you know, their attempt at sort of keep, keeping your relationship and your family together in that pro-dependent model. All of that stuff is so integrated into those meditations. And that's one of those things that I really have such a passion about. And I'm so proud that I've incorporated those into the meditations in this book, uh, Gifts of Recovery. We have more time to talk. So I appreciate the book and I love the book. What it is, is a day, it's a one day at a time meditation book for people in recovery and their family members to understand how to reflect, how to take a moment out to think of the larger issues that are surrounding the healing of addiction. And, and it gives people a place to have a little bit of foundation every day. And we've long needed a new one. So thank you so much for that, Tim. You know, um, one of the things I promised, we promised, I don't know if you remember this, but at the beginning of this podcast, we, we started talking about what are some of the typical symptoms, if you would, or if you will, for what we call betrayal trauma. And you mentioned one of them, so let me go back to it. Um, but I'd like to go through them. So, And by the way, I want you partners and spouses who've been betrayed to hear this now, okay? This is not 
blame. This is not shame. This is not you're doing this wrong or why won't you calm down? This is just a simple reflection on the kinds of things that we see partners go through when they are struggling with betrayal trauma. And one of the things that Tim mentioned is about sexuality, that when you're being lied to as a spouse and you're being manipulated and you don't really know what's going on, oftentimes you have this gut feeling of, I don't feel safe or I don't quite know what's going on, or I feel like things are out of control. And as Tim said, even if you don't know what's going on, you still don't really fully feel safe. And so it's not unusual for us to work with couples that have been sexless for a while because the spouse has not felt safe. And then when all the information comes out, it's not unusual for a spouse to kind of feel like, oh, okay, now I know who they are. Now I know what's been going on. Now, oh, and I, I kind of feel sexual again because now there's this renewed sense of vulnerability or connection. So even though it may not be warranted or useful, in the beginning, some spouses who've experienced betrayal trauma will again feel sexual toward their partners, kind of a little honeymoon in a way that might uh, not match the situation. What are some other things, Tim? that we typically see in spouses, reactive things, things that are hard for the addict to understand, how hard for the spouse to, they don't even want to be this way. And I'll, you know, we have spouses, I don't like how I'm acting, but we need to call out that way, those ways that the trauma leaves them acting. So what are some other ways that you see? Well, you know, you, you talked about the, the being a little bit hypersexual or, or feeling the desire to be sexual. We talked earlier about sort of that loss of interest in sexuality. There's uh, sort of like the classic detective work that partners do. Can you say, okay, let's, what is detective work? I just found out that uh, my, my partner has been acting out and I had no idea about it. And so now I need to understand and know everything. And I'm, I'm trying to make sure there are no pockets of secrets that are out there. This might look like reading their emails. It might be hiring someone to hack into their computer to see their, their history. It might be cell phone records, tracking their cell phone and where they're at. Uh, I've known people that have hired private detectives to track the app. But it's, it's all about, I don't feel safe. And so I'm doing this behavior so that I can, as best I can at this point, guarantee that I'm not going to be hurt again. Most addicts get driven nuts by this. You know, she doesn't trust me. And, and I'll say, well, you know, you've been sober for what, three weeks? I'm not really sure that, 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 that you have a leg to stand on. on. You, should, you should trust me yet. But addicts have a really hard time with sort of that intrusion into what they perceive as their privacy. But from the, from the partner's experience, having been betrayed, having the significant pain, and when you look at it as their attempt to manage and control the trauma and to make sure it doesn't happen to them again, well, and I would add to that, I think that when, you know, the men and women that I work with, when they have a partner who's doing detective work, they'll often say like, they're just looking for that reason to leave me. And I actually think it's the opposite. I think that when spouses are doing detective work, they're going through cell phone records and hiring detectives, you know, they're really looking to stay. It's like, I'm looking to be able to, I want to look and look and look and look and not find anything and exhaust myself looking and not finding anything. And then maybe I can begin to trust again. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, that has been my experience. But that's not how you experience it if the person, if you're the person whose cell phone record has been going through. <laughs> oh, no. And, and you know, again, the, the couples where the addict has sort of been able to, the, the earlier the better, and sometimes it takes a while, but the, the couples where the addict has been able to embrace sort of that empathy and compassion for the partner and what the partner's gone through and try to understand the partner's behavior. I will, I'm always telling the addicts, Look, I'm never going to tell you that your partner's behaviors are appropriate, are respectful, are kind, uh, are not hurtful. 
I'm never going to tell you that because at times they may not be. What I will tell you is, but regardless of how inappropriate or painful those, those, their behaviors are to you, can you do your best to step into their shoes and understand why that behavior made sense to them in that moment? And the addicts that are really able to embrace that and as consistently as they can try to step into that imperfectly because they're human, but try to step into that. Those are the couples where we see the most healing taking place. And, and, and the couples ships often are thriving, you know, relatively early into recovery. But it, it really does require that willingness to, to, to step away from the what you're invading my privacy and that, that indignation that someone might feel and, an, a, and a true willingness to step into a, why does this make sense? How is my partner trying to keep themselves safe? How are they trying to protect themselves? Oh, I get it. If an addict can sort of embrace and hold on to that, it's, it's, it's so helpful. Well, a, a thought. I think I wrote a book about this. I'll put that out there called Out of the Doghouse which was you know, a, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating out of the doghouse. And I wrote it because I think in general, men see this as they don't, you know, Tim, men are fixers. We like to fix things. You would think that man, a man could figure out how to fix having cheated on a relationship, but no, no, no. We want the anger and the upset and the disappointment and the frustration of the detective work and all that to be done in at least three weeks, if not a month. And that's understanding the problem. So, yes, I, I, I cannot tell you how important what Tim is saying is, which is that it is empathy that leads to the healing. It's empathy for the spouse. Oh, my God, this person is so broken. And while they've broken my heart, they're just as broken as I feel right now. That doesn't give you the right to hurt me more, but I understand why you hurt me. And empathy on the part of the, of the person who's been cheating or acting out to say, wow, what right do I have to say how long this reaction might go on or how, or how hurt they are? I'm the one who hurt them. I need to tolerate this and be able to uh, understand it. it. It is. It's oftentimes that, that tolerance. It, it, it's like consider the person who has been sober for you know two or three years and their wife discovers that there was like one small detail that, that, that got left out. And the partner focuses on that. How come you kept this a secret from me? And for the addict, they have two choices in that moment. And, and it's not always easy because their own wounds and their own trauma gets wrapped up in this. But the addict can, can be indignant and say, look, I've been doing 99% of this really, really well. Why are we focusing and why are we talking about and why are you hammering me on this 1%? That's probably not going to be helpful to the, the couple, regardless of how justified it feels to the addict. Or the addict can say, wow, this one thing that I, I kept from you, and I'm so sorry I did that, and I understand why that must be so terrifying for you. And what can I do to help you feel safer and more comfortable in this moment? I'm so sorry. And the addict, if they're able to have that kind of a response, the healing in their relationship is going to be significantly different. But that's not always an easy thing for the addict to say. That's one of those things that really comes not with sobriety, but it really comes with that recovery work that, that addicts have to step into, into doing. Ladies and gentlemen. Tim Stein, Santa Rosa, California. Tim, how can people reach you if they want to perhaps go to uh, you know, a weekend intensive as a couple or they might want to reach out to you for, to talk to you online or something? How would they do that? Well, you can check out our websites. Uh, I have my own personal website, which is timsteinmft.com. And then Jeannie and I uh, have our website for Willow Tree Counseling, which is Willow Tree Santa Rosa. 
com. And, you know, my phone number is uh, available on both of those websites, which is 707-200-2332, extension 101. Uh, and you can also email me, uh, tim at willowtreesantarosa.com. Always happy to provide guidance and support. And if people want to come in and do some intensive work, you know, we're always happy to talk about how that might look. And I want to mention to you all briefly as we were closing up that Tim has been generous enough to run a weekly group on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. And that is a volunteer drop-in group, a support group for professionals. So if you're a professional who has a license, um, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, and you worry about talking about sexual issues in a public place, we uh, screen and monitor and manage this particular group so that it's professionals only and you have to sign in to be a member. And Tim runs the group. Thank you for the gift. Again, folks, Tim Stein, one of my colleagues and peers, and I'm a big fan. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term, effective, intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.